Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. When God opened up Hannah's womb to conceive and deliver the prophet Samuel, she exploded in a prayer of praise in 1 Samuel 2. And among some of the words that she prayed were these in verses 6 and 7. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. And that's what we're talking about on the program this week, money. Yesterday on the show, we saw that God is sovereign over our money and that his chief end in creating it is to bring glory to his name. Today, we're looking at how money and wealth were affected by the entrance of sin into the world. So let's just, first of all, point out what sin did not affect about wealth and money. Sin did not introduce work, how we get money. Um, Labor is, of course, not sinful at all. Uh, Before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve were told to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, have dominion. It's called the cultural mandate. So work is a glorious part of imaging forth God to the world. But when sin entered the world, work then became a mixture of glory and endless frustration. That's what God meant when he told Adam in Genesis 2.17, Cursed is the ground because of you, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And so the pursuit of wealth has become so hard and frustrating in this fallen world. So brothers, how else do you suppose has sin affected man's mankind's pursuit of wealth in this world? I do want to just go back because there's um, just briefly and, and talk about this idea that work is not the curse because there was a book written a while ago that was not helpful, um, um, Wild at Heart, and the, the, the working premise of that book was that work was the curse. Mm. No, God planned put Adam and Eve in the garden, and they were to work and keep it. And so I I just think we have to stress over and over again that work is not a curse of the fall. We were created to work. We were created to to be stewards of God's good creation. I would just say experientially, people know this. Like if you finish a good day of work and it was a great day, hardly any frustration, what do you feel at the end of that day? You feel a sense of... Refreshing. Yeah. Well, that's the way that God intended work to be, minus the curse. Well, in fact, I would say that when when we have that feeling of satisfaction, we are reflecting God who made us, who stood back at every step of creation, and God said, it's good. Yes. And we reflect God when we, in our own little way, uh, make things, create things through work. It, when we do that, we reflect the image of God. So sorry about that. I just no, that's good. It's important to me because I, I just know that that's been a distortion that Absolutely. is not is not really helpful. Yeah, um, yeah, 
for how we we see life and how we see work. And if you if you understand that, it'll actually help you work because if yeah. you, if you every day you show up and say God gave us work as a gift, mm-hmm. um, that'll change your perspective. Mm-hmm. But well, sin has affected it. Yeah, and that's I mean really to the heart of what you were saying. How does how does that? And I think it goes back to what Luther says: we're curved in on ourselves. Um, and so the fall made it where we were created to um, have God as as their chief thing in our mind's eye, that he was our chief desire and the the greatest love of our heart. And then the fall made it that we're <laughs> our chief desire, and we, uh, unfortunately, fill our own mind's eye. Um, and so then what happened is um, we see wealth like we see all of, of life, we see it as something that satisfies me. Well, exactly, and the sin that comes before every other sin is idolatry, the worship of self. Um, remember Satan's lie in the garden, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And uh, the idolatry, what's, what's entered in with money is, is, to, is the idolatry of money, uh, to make money into the ultimate end of life. Uh, and to make money into the thing that drives me, the thing that is at the center of my focus and my vision. At that point, money becomes an idol. And by the way, uh, Jesus, if you boil down all the different things, categorize all the different things Jesus talked about, Jesus talked about money more than any other subject. Uh, The kingdom of God was the only thing he talked about more than he talked about money. And I believe that's because Jesus recognized that money is the chief competitor in our lives for the place that belongs to God alone. Yeah, and I think we can broadly define money as as any wealth, yes. any any of our possessions is really the category that Jesus mm-hmm. was addressing, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. not just your bank account, but all yeah. of your possessions. So, what are some verses um, in the Scripture that warn us about money? Well, one that one that comes to mind uh, right off the top of my head, uh, Matthew chapter six in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus said, "No one can serve two masters. Uh, he will love the one and hate the other, or hate the one and uh, I'm, I'm going to get confused on it because I don't have it open in front of me." But um, he, Jesus, then Jesus concluded, "You cannot serve both God and Mammon." And mammon is money and more. Mammon is uh, money, wealth, value, uh, possessions. And notice that Jesus didn't say, you know, it's a bad idea to try to serve both God and mammon, both God and wealth. He didn't say it's a bad idea. He said you can't do it. Right. You will love one and hate the other. Mm-hmm. That if you're dev- you cannot love God and love and love money in 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 the sense of of, of worship of idolatrous worship. Mm-hmm. You're going to have one God. Yeah, I think maybe an illustration of that is maybe in that same chapter where Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than yes. it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Right, right. Um, it's of course not to say that rich people don't go to heaven. It's to say that the the chokehold that wealth and possessions put on a person's soul blinds them from their spiritual need. I mean, the first thing that that happens in conversion is a person sees their utter bankruptcy before God, and wealth tends to obscure that. Um, I was going to talk about that, but um, since Phil brought it up, I'll move to a different passage. But it is interesting to to 
think that right after Jesus talks about um, don't lay up treasures for yourself here on earth, the next segment is about don't being anxious. And he talks about what Spurgeon referred to as the trinity of cares. Um, we care what we wear, we care what we eat, we care what we drink. And he's saying if you put your treasure in the wrong spot, that's what's going to consume you. And that's where all of your anxiety is going to come from. Yeah. And having more won't cure the problem. Yeah. Having more of the same thing is not going to be the cure. Yes. It's it's changing the affection. And yeah. you, the point John, is, your affection should be God. John, John Piper, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Russ, because he said this in his book um, on the chapter in Money and Desiring God. He says, after your basic needs are met, accumulated money begins to diminish your capacity for these pleasures rather than increase them. Buying things contributes absolutely nothing to your heart's capacity for joy. Do you guys have a response to that? It really boils down to stuff can't fill the deepest longings of our heart. Our hearts were made for God. And if we try to satisfy the longing of our heart with anything else, it can't do it. Um, they don't have enough substance to them. And the, the great temptation of each of us is to try to, to use creatures or created things to bring satisfaction. And they can't. And we yeah. see this with little kids. I mean, little well, kids sure. get at Christmas time, they get that gift that they wanted all year. And then what happens? Like a week later, they're already tired of it. But we're, we're just growing up little kids. Absolutely. That's, I, I, have a vivid memory of the, the, I have a vivid memory of the first car that I ever bought. And uh, it was a 1967 Ford Ranchero 390 V8 four-barrel carburetor. That was a sweet vehicle. I think we need to talk to him about idolatry. Yeah, yeah. And oh man, today. I'm yeah. sorry. I thought he was going to say like it was a 1917 Ford. Yeah, well, yeah, that was Dad's car. But uh, no, 67 Ranchero, and uh, boy, I got that thing, and it, it was. Is shiny this the and, one that's like the car slash truck in the back? <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh man, exactly. My aunt and uncle had one of those. Yeah, I thought it was yep, the coolest yep. car ever. Yeah, and uh, boy, I remember just go, going out in the driveway and just staring at that thing for you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never done for that. Way, I'm for way, way too I'm long. way better than you. On, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, I was 19 years old, 18 years old. So anyway, uh, just staring at that thing. But you know what? In in just a few weeks, it was nothing but a car. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but the thing about possessions and trying to satisfy the heart with possessions, it's like any addiction. Yeah. In any addiction, you with every time you take a hit or take a drink, whatever the addiction is, each time you need more. Yeah. And what satisfied you last time won't satisfy you this time, won't give you the same high. Possessions are like that. And you get on that treadmill and it's a deadly trap. Um, and we're not trying to, rom we're not romanticizing poverty here. There's nothing romantic or good about you know, being deprived or being without. But if we seek to satisfy the heart with things, there will never be enough. And this is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 6. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Yes. And then he says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's that, that's what Phil is talking about. It, how much money do you need? Just a little bit more. A little more. And then you get a little bit more and, well, but if I just had a little bit more. And it, you will not find satisfaction. Um, you and that's you'll the find... thing. God does want us to have joy. I mean yes. that that you quoted yesterday, uh, Matthew twenty five, where Jesus was giving the parable of the talents. And what does the master say after they completed their good stewardship? Enter into the joy of your master. Yes, we're not talking about money because we want to rub your joy. We're talking about money because oftentimes our our pleasures are aiming at infinitely lower things. And and that's always the appeal in scripture. So brothers, as we're thinking as we're wrapping up the show today, as we're looking at the gospel and, and Jesus Christ coming into the world, how does the gospel correct our view of money in a fallen world? I think there's lots of ways you can answer this, but for me, the gospel um, reminds me of where my joy comes from, where my satisfaction is found, that my satisfaction is found in Jesus Christ alone, and that I have to trust that in, in him, um, God will take care of me as his, as his sheep, that he will provide everything that I need, not everything that I want, and that I can trust that in him I'm safe, um, not only for eternity, but I'm safe now, that... Um, he knows how to tenderly lead, guide, direct, and and take care of um, his people, and it it it's liberating. Yeah, and Jesus, of course, talked about this uh, when he said, "Look at the birds of the air; they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they?" Mm. And believer, just consider how precious you are to God. Look to God uh, to meet the deepest need. Amen. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. If you missed any of these broadcasts, feel free to subscribe, and you can be our 10th subscriber to the Gospel for Life podcast. And Russ, what prize will you have for them? <laughs> um, just see me next year at the conference. Yeah, yeah, very good. All right, uh, we hope that you'll tune in tomorrow. We're going to continue this discussion. We'll see you next time.